Hi friend, this is Alex McRobbs, founder of The Mindful Life Practice, and you're listening to the Sober Yoga Girl podcast. I'm a Canadian who moved across the world to the Middle East at age 23, and I never went back. I got sober in 2019, and I now live full-time in Bali, Indonesia. I've made it my mission to help other women around the world stop drinking, start yoga, and change their lives through my online Sober Girls Yoga community. You're not alone, and a sober life can be fun and fulfilling. Let me show you how. All right. Amazing. Hello. Hello, everyone. Welcome back to another episode of Sober Yoga Girl. So this podcast episode, we're actually filming live, and we have an audience of people who are listening along and might be interacting later on in the episode. And this episode is being recorded as part of our Be Your Own Boss Summit, which is a event we're happening, we're having on the Mindful Life Practice this week about just about becoming an entrepreneur and building your own business and maybe doing a path that is less traditional than a, a typical nine to five job, which so many of us were sort of ingrained um, to, to do as, as young kids growing up, or at least I know I was. And I'm really, really excited that I have my good friend, Amanda Chisholm here with me today. And now Amanda and I go way, way, way back. So we actually became friends in our first yoga teacher training in 2014 at Yandara Yoga, which I actually had a mindful life practice yoga retreat there this past year. I don't think anyone on this call joined it, but it's just been amazing to watch your whole entrepreneurial journey from that point until now, which it's been about eight years later. And now Amanda has her own yoga studio in Bathurst, New Brunswick, which is her hometown in Canada. And so I'm just really excited to have you here and hear about your story and your journey that got you to this point. So welcome. Thank you. It's honestly an honor, Alex. It's been amazing watching you flourish into um, this amazing business that you've created in such a, a niche market. So thank you for having me. And it looks like you're sitting in pure, ba pure balance right now, right? Are you in the studio? I am. I actually just taught a morning class. So. Amazing. <laughs> Timing worked out well. Beautiful. So my first question I want to ask you to start off with is, what did you want to be when you grew up, when you were young? Do you remember? My, so my earliest memory, I think like all kids, you kind of um, look to your parents. So I remember saying I wanted to be a mom because my mom was a stay-at-home mom. But my earliest profession that I remember um, gravitating towards was a veterinarian, actually. Wow. And so was that because did you have pets growing up or you really like animals so or what was that? We, we didn't really have pets growing up, but I've always been um, a huge animal lover. I have uh, pets now um, and still a very big animal lover. But yeah, I think uh, I think the idea of like wanting to save animals and wanting to help that uh, as a young kid, that really struck a chord with me. <laughs> so cute. And did you ever imagine, was there any point when you thought that you could be an entrepreneur or a business owner? So not, you know, it wasn't really on my radar. My dad did kind of um, have a, a, a side business in, um, I think, whenever I was in high school to university. So that was probably my first, like, real exposure to entrepreneurship. And I saw how, you know, challenging it is behind the scenes. Um, but my dad had this passion of his own that um, kind of drove him to create this side business while he still had his main employment. And I watched him like pour his heart into that. And it, it was really inspiring. Um, 
but it's kind of interesting when you look back on your path in life, like myself, um, like you, I, I grew up thinking, you know, that I need this very steady kind of nine to five job. And, you know, mm-hmm. I went to university and uh, I took a Bachelor of Commerce at the time, which, you know, in retrospect works in my favor now. Um, but it certainly wasn't part of the plan. And, and even just getting into yoga, um, you know, like at the time I was living in Toronto and I went through a period where I went through depression and anxiety and, um, you know, I was exploring all the different routes of you know, different ways that I could um, heal that and live with that. And, uh, you know, somebody kept suggesting yoga. So I went to um, a studio in Toronto and I kind of told myself, you know, I'm going to give it 30 days and and see what the effects are. And uh, after about, you know, two, three days, I was hooked and, you know, it kind of shifted my whole life path, you know, because it really struck a chord with me as something, something special. And, um, looking back now, you know, all these pieces kind of came into play. Like, you know, I had a dad who was an entrepreneur. I, I went to, to business school, but uh, it certainly wasn't part of my original plan. <laughs> yeah. Wow. That's so amazing. And as you shared that part of your journey, I was thinking to myself, I was like, man, we had a very similar experience in that I was struggling with my mental health in university age. And then I, I tried yoga once someone recommended it. And then I just got hooked on it and, you know, did a 30 day challenge. And that was that. And I find it so interesting because I don't, I actually don't remember you and I like bonding or connecting over that fact. And and I wonder if that has to do with like the stigma of mental health. Like, I'm just thinking out loud about it. Like, I don't think we were really talking about mental health, you know, um, when, whenever we met eight years ago, especially as like a driving factor, you know, like most people, you know, we think of yoga as people kind of gravitating towards it for, you know, fitness reasons. And, and by all means, it's wonderful for that. But there are so many people who arrive, like I see it now with the studio, who arrive purely for mental health reasons. And, and that was very much the case. That's so interesting. Yeah. So it was really similar for me. And then, okay, so I remember at the time that I met you, what you shared was that you were in Ontario and you discovered yoga and got really into it. And then you moved back to Bathurst and there wasn't any yoga there. And then that was what had inspired you to do your yoga teacher training and bring yoga to your community. And so I've watched this over eight years, like you started and you were just teaching yoga in like some churches. I remember like just around the community and then it evolved to this incredible place where you have this studio and all of these yoga teachers working with you. And so I was just wondering about that, like, tell us about the first few years starting the business. Like, how did you begin? What were the little steps that you took to get to where you are today? Yeah, so it, it's, you know, I was kind of talking to somebody about that this morning as well. It's really interesting when you, you know, follow your heart and get really in touch with, you know, your heart and what you feel is sort of your calling in life. And whenever I started practicing yoga pretty seriously in Toronto, I had that kind of like aha moment of like, wow, I feel like this is something I'm, I'm meant to be doing. And I got really involved with the yoga studio there while I was living there. And um, I had traveled home uh, to my hometown a couple times and reconnected with um, a guy that I had went to high school with. And we kind of started dating long distance. And after, you know, I think it was six or eight months of that, I took a leap of faith and was going to, to move home here with him. And the night before that I came here, the yoga studio that I was frequenting um, had asked if I was interested in kind of working there. And I was like, oh, my gosh, like, I'm about to move home. Like, it just felt like such a step in the wrong direction in a sense. But um, 
the timing of it really made me question, like, should I stay here and try and work at the studio? Like, maybe there's a, a future there for me. But I went with my heart and, you know, followed, followed that boy home. And uh, when I got here, um, I had heard there were people kind of teaching in the region, but I wasn't um, familiar with them. And um, started seeking them out and there were some wonderful teachers here but we didn't have like a dedicated yoga space so I started going to classes at you know this person's house and um you know this you know church basement or wherever else and um was enjoying that but it it really showed me that there was a need for for a full-time yoga studio in the region um and a lot of these you know teachers had full-time jobs so you know they could only teach you know once or twice a week in the evening and in my head I you know I was comparing it to living in a larger city where I was like, okay, you know, there's a yoga studio on every block. You can go to a class at any time you want and that availability of yoga. Um, so my, my husband now, but my boyfriend at the time, he'd been really supportive and, and very encouraging for me to go do my yoga teacher training, which is where I met you. And, um, you know, while I was there, even more so felt that that was like really a calling for me in this life. And when I arrived home, you know, kind of just hit the ground running and and teaching classes. So at first I approached a a gym, like a kind of fitness facility here. And um, we had the idea of, you know, trying to add yoga into their schedule. But we started by offering, I think it was a week or two free classes to the public because yoga still wasn't really well known around here. So we wanted to expose as many people as we could to, you know, what it was all about and and get a little feeler for it. Um, and then I continued with some classes there. And then I rented a, a spot downtown that um, I uh, was teaching out of. I started volunteering at a, at a mental health center here, teaching yoga there for free. And I started, you know, networking as much as I could, teaching at the schools, teaching at the high school, um, any events, getting my name out there. And uh, after about a year and a half of that, I started meeting other teachers who were moving back to the region. And it just kind of became obvious to me that this was the next step. And it was very much a leap of faith because, you know, my class numbers were good, but they weren't looking back maybe as promising (laughs) as, you know, maybe you'd like when you take a big leap of faith like that. And um, so I approached, uh, we have a a community uh, business center here that, you know, helps small businesses get up and going. So I had approached them with my idea. They were really supportive. Um, I created a business plan. I um, got them on board with that. And then we, we opened here in fall 2015. That's incredible. That's mm-hmm. amazing. And through that time, so you opened in 2015 and through that time, you not only became a mom, but then also COVID hit, which I know impacted businesses all around the world. So what was that? I mean, I guess that's a two part question, but like, what's it like being a, a parent and running a business? And then what's it like being a, like, what was it like going through COVID? So if I go back to the early years of running the studio, I was, I essentially lived here. <laughs> I was here all the time. I taught all the time. Um, it was very much a baby of mine, which was wonderful. But as you move into other life stages, like getting married and, and you know having children, that becomes a little less possible to be here all the time because you're you know juggling the responsibilities of your life. Um, but in the early years, you know, I think that that was really important for me, sort of establishing the business in our community. Um, my my biggest thing that uh, that I tried to offer in the early years was consistency. So, you know, having this consistently available schedule to people to to build on our clientele and um, to get our numbers up. 
Um, so the, for the first two to three years, you know, we were very successful in, um, in that approach. And I think I had mentioned to you that, you know, we won quite a few awards, both locally and, and provincially. And um, from there, uh, I got married and had my first child in 2018, which you actually uh, came to visit out here, I think around that time when I was pregnant. Yeah, you're pregnant. Yeah. Yeah, quite pregnant at the time. <laughs> and um, yeah, so it was kind of, uh, I think when I was first pregnant, I kind of thought that things could continue as normal, that I could still be here all the time and um, still play that role. Um, but it, you know, was a pretty, pretty big awakening once the baby arrived, at, you know, how much of my time that would take up as well. So um, it became very important to have the right people in place to help you and support you. And, you know, I learned some lessons about that along the way. Um, but making sure that, you know, your team is strong and um, that you have the right people in that you trust and that can, you know, maintain that business in your absence. Um, so then fast forward <laughs> to COVID, uh, when that hit in early 2020, of course, you know, the fitness industry was one of the most highly impacted industries of that time. Um, I think I heard a statistic that was like 80% of yoga studios closed forever. Um, and even now I'm still getting, you know, wind of studios in Ontario and, and elsewhere that are still, you know, to this day closing down because they, they can't keep up with the costs that they had incurred during those years. Um, so during the pandemic, I actually got pregnant with my second daughter. Um, so that added another layer of, of, um, of challenge there, I'll call it. Um, and when, you know, when the pandemic hit at first, I think we all kind of thought it was kind of temporary and yeah. that, you know, after a couple of weeks, a couple of months, we, you know, we'd be back to normal. And, you know, after about a year kind of realized that was not, uh, was not the case so much. Um, and it became more important to think outside the box and create other opportunities for the business. So if we were operating at half capacity, you know, we kind of recognized that this can't go on long term without supplementing some sort of income. So that's actually when we launched that online program. Um, I think it was quite about a year ago or so um, mm -hmm. where we opened up, you know, our classes worldwide, essentially. And we had teachers like yourself uh, um, offer little uh, specialty classes and guest appearances. And, and that was a whole adventure in itself. And then, you know, thankfully, this past spring, you know, we saw restrictions ease. And I'd say the past couple of months are the first months that have actually seemed relatively normal <laughs> for us. Um, but yeah, it's been a wild, wild ride. Wow, what a journey. And that time during COVID, like I just remember, so I was doing, I had done yoga at many different places along the year, but in Toronto, where I was, um, where my mom is from, and then Kingston, where I did university, I think majority of the studios that I've, that I practiced in during those times, like maybe four or five of them all shut down during COVID just because it was so, it was so challenging. And it's so sad because people really need these spaces for Absolutely. their well-being. Absolutely. We said that so many times, you know, if we can just get through this, our services yeah. are going to be even more needed on the other side of this. Mm -hmm. But it was to get 
through that, um, you know, that time period, which, you know, was incredibly challenging. And um, I think the biggest thing that, you know, I learned along the way with, with COVID was think outside the box. Um, for us, uh, the community support is what really got us through. We didn't receive any government help, um, or little to no government help, I should say. Um, so for us, I felt like having established that community before COVID had hit was really what saved us. Like I, I really, my heart felt for businesses that had just opened because we had a, you know, we had a community, we had a following, we had people who stepped up and, you know, bought things online and, and, uh, donated to the studio, uh, especially during the beginning months when, you know, when there was nothing available for help. Wow. Yeah. And that shows the impact that you've had on your, your members' lives if they are so willing to give what they can to keep it alive. That's huge. Yeah. And, and that was really apparent to us during the pandemic as well as what an important space this is in our community and, and how crucial it was for so many people's mental health. Um, yeah. You know, going back to what we were saying earlier, I think sometimes we downplay what an important impact yoga has on mental health and, you know, it gets overshadowed by the physical nature of it. And um, it was really eye-opening, even for myself, how much this space helps with that. So in the absence of it, you know, we really came to appreciate what we had. Totally. And so what were, what are some of the other challenges that you faced along the way? So definitely juggling motherhood with uh, being an entrepreneur, not to say that um, it can't be done because, you know, I, I am, I am getting through, but it becomes even more important to have the right people in place. Um, I know for myself uh, this past year, I went through kind of a, I'll call it a burnout and you know, in that time, you really see who is there for you. And in particular, there, you know, was one employee that stands out that really stepped up for me and, um, you know, took on more responsibility and uh, did wonderful once I entrusted her with that role. So um, I think there's a time to kind of get in there and do it all yourself to establish, you know, your vision. Um, but then when you have the right people kind of vibrating with you and, and working with you, it's important to trust people and, and distribute some of the, some of the work as well. Have you had trouble with managing so many different people? Like, are there ever like struggles with that? Absolutely. And I think this industry has some unique challenges in that way. Um, because most people who are teaching yoga either have another side job or, you know, don't lead traditional lifestyles. Like they don't have that nine to five. So there are challenges that present itself from managing people who, you know, don't fit that normal nine to five clock in. Mm -hmm. Um, And, you know, like any industry, there's going to be, you know, people who fit into the workplace culture and then those that don't, right? And um, as much as yoga is all about, you know, loving each other, accepting each other, it is still a business at the end of the day. And that was sort of a a harsh reality for myself as well, is it's important to make sure that the people around you um, are vibrating at the same frequency as you or have the same vision, same goal as you. Um, because if not, when, when things do get challenging, that's when we see, we see those qualities come to the surface that maybe it's a mismatch um, 
of, you know, the employee with the environment. Yeah, absolutely. And I can so relate to that share. I think that's been my biggest struggle is like the people involved in the community and finding that right combination and also understanding when it's time to like let go and on both ends like um I remember I worked at so many different yoga studios along the way before I started my own business you know I was working in Canada and then Kuwait and Abu Dhabi and I remember there were time periods when I could look back and see okay that was time for me to let go and yet I just held on and held on and held on and it's like just understanding that you know we might not be in the same place forever and we'll come into our lives for a period of time. And we definitely want to have the right people energetically in the space. Absolutely. And it's like you said, maybe, you know, maybe two people kind of fit together at one point, but then as you know, things change and we grow, you know, there people can grow apart. Right. And, and that can happen in any style of relationship. And um, I think too, that, uh, you know, sometimes we hang on so tightly to something because we want it to be that way. And, you know, when we look at it with clear eyes afterwards, we can see that, okay, no, there was a big, big shift happening there. And, and most of the time when we look back, it was for our greater good that these, that these things happen, but they can be very painful when you go through them at the time. Yeah, it's so true. What is your dream for Pure Balance in like the next five years or so? That's a great question. Um, I would certainly like to see us grow because we've been in the last, you know, three years of kind of like condensing back in and survival mm-hmm. mode. You know, prior to that, I always dreamt big. You know, I always, um, I always uh, was very optimistic. You know, I always saw all of these different paths that Pure Balance could take. And then when I got into the pandemic and, you know, got into that more survival mode, that fight or flight mode, you start thinking very small because you want to protect yourself and you want to uh, be careful in your steps, right? Because you want to ensure your survival. So as we come out of that kind of collective fight or flight mode, starting to feel safe again and safe enough to dream again, um, that's been happening very much for us at the studio as well. So now that we've got this really great team um, working together, we've certainly been dreaming up all kinds of things that for the last three years just felt, you know, too big. Um, but we've been looking at some retreats, uh, some training. Yeah. Yeah. Possible, you know, different class styles. We have some new instructors that we brought in, um, different services that we'd like to offer. So we're, we're starting to dream big again. (laughs) Amazing. Oh, and that must feel so exciting because there was a time period where like, an international retreat just wouldn't, or any, even a local retreat just wouldn't be possible. And so that's really cool. And even the risk, you know, during the pandemic was like the risk of planning something with the possibility of it being canceled. Right. Yeah. So that, that was intimidating. Um, But yeah, now that, now that we're, you know, sort of seeing, you know, the other side of this, even we see it, even with the clients, they're starting to want these things again. Right. And that was a large part of operating a business in the pandemic was gauging people's comfort level with everything. Um, so now seeing that people, you know, are at that point where they, they do feel safe enough to, to do these things again. Yeah. Oh, that's amazing. And what advice would you give to someone who is just starting out their entrepreneurial journey? So my biggest advice would be to drop into your heart and follow your heart. 
So it's very easy to try and create a business plan very much from, from, you know, the mental body or the mind. But if we drop into our heart and truly find what speaks to us, what we feel like our purpose is in this life, something that really sets our soul on fire, we feel very passionate about. I'm a big believer that that is more attributed to success um, in whatever, you know, path you're trying to take. Uh, But for entrepreneurship specifically, like, for me, you know, especially during the pandemic, I'm like, well, I must really love what I'm doing to be doing this, right? Because it, mm-hmm. it was very stressful during that time. So, um, but prior to the pandemic, you know, it was incredible when I just followed my heart, seeing how everything sort of lined up. I, I'm a big believer in the law of attraction. Um, so being very clear on what it is that you want to have happen or what it, what it is that you'd like to manifest. And not trying to force things that don't match that. So I, I see a lot of times, you know, people have a dream, but logically they're like, okay, but maybe this would be safer. So they sort of abandon their original view um, in hopes of finding sort of a safer or less risky path. I think being as clear as possible on what it is that you'd like to accomplish, what it is that you'd like to do, and then not settling for anything less than what vibrates at that frequency. Amazing. Oh, you are such an inspiring person. Like as you started answering that question, I was just like, oh, I just love Amanda so much. And you have such <laughs> a beautiful energy. And it just doesn't surprise me that your your business has been such a success because you're just an amazing person. And I can see how people can just be drawn to to you. So well you know, I think that goes for you too, Alex. I think when we find something that really speaks to us, like like you have with your niche, um, it's so authentic and people are attracted to authentic. And I think the more that we can live in truly who we are and, you know, live from our heart space, people gravitate towards that because that's truly what everybody wants, right? Um, is to feel authentically like themselves and, and to live from their heart, less from their head. So I think that once we sense that in somebody, we gravitate towards it. So true. That's so true. Oh, well, awesome. Well, I'm just going to invite now, if anyone listening who's joined us this morning has any questions that they want to ask Amanda in particular, we would love to have you, um, uh, ask some questions. (laughs) I, uh, I don't have a question. I just want to say um, how proud I am of Amanda. Um, I'm new to yoga in the Bathurst region. And um, I short, long story short, I did a retreat a few weeks ago with another yoga teacher. And it's just bringing different practices into my life is changing my life for the better. Uh, you guys touched on mental health stuff. I'm also, um, I'm a dance studio owner and <laughs> it, okay. it's rough. Yeah. <laughs> and um, yeah, so I can never take nighttime classes. I don't know if that's why I never turned to yoga before. And sorry about my voice. I've been sick. That's why you haven't seen me this week, Amanda, at the studio. I want to go this morning, uh, but I'm sick. Um, Anyway, she offers daytime classes in our small town, which is amazing. And just the things you bring to Bathurst and to our small city is amazing. And I know for a fact, I've talked to a few people who've said you've, you've changed things for them and what your studio brings to the area. 
And I'm so happy to say that your new teacher, Jen, um, I'm hiring to bring in to work with my teenagers, my competitive dance uh, teenagers. Yeah, she's going to come to a workshop with them. And I think we're going to base it around mental health. But yeah, so I just want to thank you for that. And uh, I don't really have questions because I see you often. <laughs> but I wanted to uh, put that, that good energy out there. I appreciate that so much. Thank you, Erin. Thank you. It, it, it's amazing because I'll never stop being in awe of the people that I meet while doing this and the people that I connect with or reconnect with. And, you know, I, again, going back to that law of attraction, once you're, you know, vibrating at a certain frequency, we attract more of the mm -hmm. same, right? And, and the people that I've met have, have truly been incredible and so instrumental to the success of the studio. And as much as I'd love to take all of the credit for the studio, it's very much a, a community effort at this point. And, and um, you know, the students that come here are, are what create the vibration of the class. And I'm very grateful for that. Thank you. It's also amazing hearing other small business owners um, because I think that, you know, this was a very trying time for, for so many of us and, and connecting um, with the challenges that we face, but also, you know, the perseverance and um, um, the success we found in spite of the world situation. I think Cindy had a question. Go for it, Cindy. Yeah. Yeah. So I'm just wondering, like, how much you had to pivot from what you originally envisioned in regards to sort of reading the room, like, oh, this is what I thought the community needed versus, oh, these are the adaptations I'm making in regard, like, I'm listening to what they need versus what I thought they need. Was there any time for you that you felt that you had to make changes like that and let go of some of your original thinking? I love this question. Um, so I see this a lot with yoga teachers and we've had a lot of, you know, dozens of yoga teachers teach here over the years. And so often I see teachers um, teach what they think they should teach versus what really feels authentic to them. And I'm a huge believer in teaching from where you are and um, that the right people are going to find you with that. Now, that being said, having a variety of teachers who offer um, different expertise and different backgrounds is obviously very crucial as well, especially if you're looking at like the typical format of a yoga studio. Um, because there's a teacher for everybody and, you know, guaranteed there's been loads of people who've come to my class and, and haven't resonated with that. But, you know, the fact that for me, a lot of the work lied in dropping into my heart and teaching from where I was at in my life and what inspired me. So, you know, yoga that was centered around, let's say, mental health or, or use that as an example. And then the people who gravitated towards those classes, you know, a couple of people tried them and, and maybe it didn't resonate and they left. But the ones who really like know that this is this is what I need. Um, it's kind of about fine tuning yourself, I guess, your practice and then the vibrational match will be there. Um, but like I said, relying solely on, like if you were going to have a typical yoga studio, having that, you know, few different teachers to offer different styles of classes would be pretty key. 
I know for myself, um, when I made like my first yoga schedule, um, I had kind of both. So I like myself, I didn't feel called to just teach one particular style of yoga. So I had a couple classes that were, you know, very asana based, you know, more about movement. And then I had some that were, you know, you know, barely any asana, more on meditation or, um, you know, the inner practices of yoga and kind of seeing or gauging the interest of with, you know, adding more of this or adding more of this, but still staying true to where I was at. I don't know if that really answers your question, but um, I found for me, it was always a balance. Okay. Yeah, that's a great question because that has been like the biggest, the biggest thing for me with running the mindful life practice is like, I've pivoted so much along the way and had to change what we were doing and what our plans were and like what I envisioned this, this community to be. It's like ever evolving. And I feel like I'm constantly just trying to adapt to what seems like it's resonating with, with the community. So yeah, that's a, that's a good question. And I, I totally get that too. Like you want to ensure the business's survival. Like sometimes I say there's, you know, some of the classes are on there to keep the studio going and some are for me, yeah. you know, <laughs> yeah. but I have found that the ones for me also built a following in time because, you know, yeah. like I said, really in your heart, people sense that and, and people crave more of that. But again, a balance of having, you know, enough of something that, you know, people are resonating with that you get the numbers in, but then the stuff that feeds your soul afterwards, because you don't want to end up yeah. so far on one side that, you know, let's say you, you, you only teach those classes that are, you know, really meaningful to you. And then you don't get enough people in to keep the studio open, then, you know, that's not very beneficial either. But you don't want to go so far on the other side that you're only focused it's, on what yeah. people want, that it, you lose sight of where you are with, you know, what you wanted, what you envisioned. So I found for me, and that might not be key for everybody, but was having the right people in place so that, you yeah. know, they're, they're serving this clientele too, so that I could focus more on, you know, what was lighting, lighting my fire. And I guess what I mean by that is like, I don't think I've ever changed my philosophy of yoga or my style of teaching. It's more been like, so I definitely agree with you. It's like keeping it authentic to the heart, but it's more been like the things behind the scenes in terms of like how I'm structuring things, how I'm, uh, you know, the, the pricing plans, the way that like the community is running, I guess more so than I think the heart of it has always been like the, the type of practice that's authentic to me. Yes. I think. I think that, you know, one of the reasons we get into entrepreneurship is that, you know, we want to you know, have that freedom, be our own boss, but you can become yeah. a slave to this as well. Right. And you can, um, end up working 20, well, you do end up working a lot. Um, but you could end up working 24 seven and not even really enjoying what you do. But I, I'm willing to bet the reason you wanted to get into that was because it was something that called to you and, and, and really meant something to you. So if you're going to dive into something that's going to take up, you know, so much of your time, how do we want to spend that time? We want to be doing something that really speaks to us, right? So true. Yeah. Absolutely. I have a question, but I don't know if it's the same one or not. But in general, what's your advice like you would give to sustaining your business? Sustaining it? Yeah. You know, it kind of does play into the last question a little bit in the sense of, 
keeping your own fire going with it, right? Um, mm -hmm. Because in time, you can get really wrapped up in the day-to-day -day stuff of, of running the business and, you know, really caught up in what people want and, and trying to, you know, please everybody. Um, for this past year for myself, the biggest lesson that I learned for long-term business, because we are in our ninth, I'm going into our ninth year of teaching in the region, um, is boundaries. So you don't have a boss per se, and nobody's going to stop scheduling you by a certain time. Nobody's mm -hmm. going to make sure those days off, those boundaries. Nobody's going to say no for you. Um, I found in my early years, I said yes to everything because I was trying to network. And I think there was a place for that at the time. Um, I was trying to take every opportunity I could to grow and expose myself. And like I said, I think there's a time for, for that, that push. Um, but you know, once you're established in order to sustain yourself, you can't operate like that long term. So I found that these past years for myself has been about learning boundaries and learning when to say no and that trusting that those opportunities I say no to aren't the ones that are meant for me and that they'll go to somebody else who who really needs them um and keeping a good team again I think that that one comes back to me a lot too that was a that was a big lesson for me was having the right people around you who are going to support you and we should be surrounded with people who want to lift us up, right? But that's unfortunately not always the case. Um, so being mindful of, of who's in your boat. Mm -hmm. That's a great answer. Oh, and here. Uh, yep. Yeah. <laughs> Melanie says, Amanda, what's been your favorite part of being a studio owner and business owner? Any particular memory or moment that stands out that has brought you joy? It's a great question. Hmm. I think my favorite part is the seeing the immediate effect that the studio has on people. Um, I'm a big believer that we all need a safe space. We all need um, somewhere that we can kind of let our guard down and just focus on ourselves and kind of shut out the world for a little bit. And it's amazing how few of us actually have a spot like that or a time dedicated to doing that. So seeing the immediate relief people feel um, when taking time for themselves and then seeing how they progress over weeks and months and, and blossoming into the best version of themselves, I, I love that. And I also love bringing out the best in people. So seeing people become naturally more caring and, and generous and more in their heart, that's been extremely fulfilling. <laughs> um, as far as a favorite memory or moment, hmm, there's so many, honestly. Um, not that awards per se <laughs> should matter so much, but receiving the two the few awards that we did were really meaningful um that something that was so dear to my heart was so honored in the community or so recognized in the community as being successful um that was a really great moment uh you know being surrounded by by peers and and um actually even the people who who funded you know pure balances opening you know presenting us that award and and honoring the success that the studio had had that was a that was a pretty great moment amazing i actually i think i remember 
when you receive that award. I remember seeing it on uh, Facebook and just being like, whoa, like that's a huge thing. I think it was like a small business. It was a entrepreneur. What was the yeah. award that you received? So the first one was for our region here and it was um, Young Entrepreneur of the Year. Um, and I was like nine months pregnant at the time with my my first, or no, sorry, the first one I was Young Entrepreneur of the Year. I was headed off for my honeymoon. That's what it was. And then the following year, I won the same wow. award, but for the province of New Brunswick. That's incredible. And, uh, when I was nine months pregnant for and uh, it, it felt really special actually to be on this stage and, and I gave a, a thank you speech and having the my baby in my belly kicking around um, probably because she felt my heart beating all the butterflies but uh, that was a really really nice moment to, to I had some family there at the, at the gala as well um, and just to feel recognized for something that you know I felt was really special in this world um, and that didn't fall into the typical nine to five business model. That's amazing. So awesome. Go for it, Linda. Hi, Amanda. Um, you've touched on this a little bit already, but I mean, I'm hearing you are a business owner, yoga teacher, and then I'm. it's making me wonder what sort of things do you do to... Um, you know, to, to still keep your own practice within yourself kind of vibrant and active? How do you nurture that when you're juggling all of these other things? I love that question. That's a work in progress for me. <laughs> um, so prior to having children, I had a pretty strict uh, meditation practice for myself um, and, and yoga. Um, that being said, in, in more recent years, I found mindset and meditation to be really crucial for me. Um, not to say that yoga is less important, um, but to me, that was sort of the, the, the most important puzzle piece. Um, once I became a mother, I kind of recognized how all life can be some sort of yoga practice. And I recognize that motherhood in particular was sort of like the ultimate yoga practice of being present with, you know, all sorts of sensations that, you know, are pleasant and some aren't pleasant. And, um, you know, being in this completely altruistic state of, of putting someone ahead of yourself. And um, I felt that all of my practice leading up to that point had really served me. I'm, I'm grateful. I, you know, only became a mother in my 30s because I feel like prior to that, I, I wouldn't have approached it in the same way. Um, but now it's been, it's been really fun um, because I'm starting to introduce a lot of this to my, to my two daughters. Um, and, you know, they come to the studio as well and, uh, you know, planting those little seeds of, of mindfulness and, you know, what mommy and daddy, my, my husband's a yoga teacher now as well, what we do. Um, but as far as carving out time for myself, which is of course a, a big challenge, for me, it's been, a, again, getting back to the meditation practice and mindset. So I did this thing about a year ago where I went off social media um, because I was realizing how much time I was wasting, not wasting on that, but I was complaining that I didn't have enough time for this or this or this. And this was one of the things within my control that I could change to free up some minutes in my day. So I got back to my meditation practice uh, in the past year, even if it's just a few minutes a day. Um, it's often when the girls fall asleep at night. So before I go to sleep um, and I also got into reading again um, because I realized, you know, 
we're a product of our environments and what we're exposing ourselves to all the time. So in lessening my social media intake uh, through this past year, even though I had two small children, I read, I think it was like 20 books um, and noticing the effect that that had on my mental health as well. Like what, what was I feeding myself all the time? Mm-hmm. Um, the other little trick that I'll do is uh, arriving early before classes and like carving that time for myself or staying after a class, even if it's a short amount of time, it's better than better than nothing. And then introducing mindfulness throughout my day uh, is, is really important. Like when I'm cooking or eating and, and um, being mindful that when I'm doing those things, I'm not multitasking or, or on my phone at the same time. And um, again, going back to having the right people in your boat, I have a uh, one particular uh, girl that works with us who is just incredible and she's helped me create more boundaries for myself in like, okay, I'm going to take today completely off and she's going to, you know, watch things for me. And uh, that's been a huge gift because as an entrepreneur, you often feel like you can't disconnect, right? You, you feel like you always need to be available. Um, so being able to be unavailable for, for a period of time has been really wonderful for my mindset as well. Thank you. Thank you. I love that. (laughs) I know before, um, like before the pandemic and before children, I used to feel like as a business owner that I had to actually like leave the country or leave the region to really disconnect um, because I would set up like, you know, okay, this person's in charge for this week or, or contact this person. And I would literally turn my phone off or, or whatever it was and, and just enjoy my time. But, you know, now that that's not, available to me anymore, having to find more of those boundaries. Um, and they add up those little minutes, those, you know, little half hours, they add up to making sure that you're, you're not running on empty all the time. Amazing. This has been such an amazing interview, Amanda. Are there any last, anyone else have any other questions before we wrap it up? Can I ask another question? Yes. For it. Yes, uh, I just want to ask, uh, what is your biggest learnings? I don't want to say mistakes, but learning. Boundaries again. Um, learning to say no as a form of self-love. <laughs> I realized I can be a bit of a people pleaser. So in doing that, I recognize that if I'm trying to be there for everybody else and I'm running myself on, you know, on empty and then something happens to me, I can't even continue to help people. Right. Mm -hmm. So this past year has been a lot about, okay, creating these boundaries as a form of protection so that I can do this long-term. If I go all out and give it my all, all the time, I'm going to run myself empty and then nobody benefits. Right. And I saw this when I had, when I had my burnout, um, that the studio's health and my health were so intertwined and I never want to reach that point again, that I have to step back completely because I've over overburdened myself. Um, so that was a really hard lesson with the burnout this year was, I need to take care of me. Um, Nobody's going to come in and say, you know, you're doing too much. You're not resting enough or you're not practicing what you preach. Um, It's up to me to set those boundaries uh, in order to do this long term. One more question. Go for it, Linda. Um, So in terms of taking a social media break, I don't know if 
if that's something that you made that decision and have continued to do that, um, or if it was for a period of time, but, um, but owning a business and wanting to sort of take that break from social media, how, how have you juggled that if, if you were using social media to promote your business? So that was a crazy challenge, (laughs) wanting to step back from it, but so much of my business relying on social media. So it is something I'm continuing to practice for myself. Um, Thankfully now with the way that let's, let's give Facebook as an example, the way that it's set up, you can actually run your business page uh, without really accessing your personal feed. Um, So that's been huge for me. This is like that separate app of being able to log on to, you know, business suite and, and post, you know, as a business um, without having to go through uh, my personal page. Um, I would say that I'm still kind of like on a 90% break from, from social media. Um, Another thing was, and and this might not be um, as possible in the beginning stages of a, of a business, but having someone who can help you with the social media side. So again, I have someone that I'm very fortunate to have working with me that um, she's very great at that aspect. And we carve out time that she does it so that I can have, you know, a couple of days where I don't even have to open it. Um, so right now we're doing, you know, that she helps from, you know, whatever it is, Monday to Thursday and then Friday, Saturday, and Sunday, I watch it, um, because you do want that engagement and you want it to be quick too with people, right? So you mm-hmm. don't want people waiting for three days for a reply and social media. I, I don't mean to say that it doesn't have its benefits because it really does. And I owe a lot of the success of pure balance, especially in the early days to social media, because that is a thousand percent how we got our, our name out there and our brand out there. Um, but like all things, it does have a shadow side. So being aware of that. And for me, you know, looking at how much of my time on social media was really business and how much of it was kind of just scrolling because we get kind of in that trap of just like, you know, mindlessly looking through things and ending up on something else and something else. Um, so I, I know a couple of friends too, who are pretty strict on time limits for that stuff. Like, you know, only 20 minutes or only 30 minutes and, People can wait an hour or two for a reply. You know, maybe you don't want to make them wait a day or so, but um, being more strategic on how you how you plan those intervals. Um, And then when it's possible, operating from a business page um, and less from your from your personal. Um, I found for myself during during the pandemic, it was kind of a an interesting time to be on social media because people had more time to be on it. And it was a very. it was a time where people were all sort of airing their opinions and a lot of arguments happening. And as someone who identifies as an empath, I found that very challenging to, to constantly see people arguing and um, a lot of, you know, not so nice things being said to each other. And uh, that weighed heavy on my heart. So taking that break was necessary for me to stay in my heart because I was finding myself triggered often. Um, So maybe just evaluating your reaction to things, if that's not really happening with you and you feel like you have a fairly healthy relationship with social media and you have good boundaries with that, it might not be as applicable. But for myself, we're noticing it was lowering my energy. I had to set certain parameters around that. Yeah, that's a great question, actually. I thought the exact same thing when Linda asked it about um, how do you take a social media break when running a business? Because I find that I'm just like, in this social media vortex (laughs) and I 
Mm-hmm. For me, it has to be like segmented parts of my day. Like I try not to go on in the morning when I can. Um, yeah. It depends on where I am in the world and the time zones and if I'm able to um, be off at that point in time. But yeah, it's, it's, and it's amazing. And then also can just become really addictive and really, yeah. Hands down. I think morning is a really crucial time too, because it sort of sets your mindset for the day. So yeah. I would be well, like I teach a morning class quite a few mornings a week. So I, I won't go on it until after that's done. So just setting that kind of boundary so that, you know, I stay in, in my vibration for what I need to do, because we can't really control what we see, like to a certain extent of what we see on social media. It's, you know, it's, it's what other people are posting. So you get triggered and then you got to go into this meeting or you got to go teach this class. Yeah. And um, it really affects your own energy. Right. So it was just recognizing in what ways was social media serving me and what ways was it not? Um, but like I said, in the early days, it was very, very crucial. So um, I think it's all about recognizing how it's affecting you and where you can set boundaries that will help you kind of thrive rather than feel weighed down by it. Um, I have a question for you, Amanda. You mentioned, um, feeling that you were an empath and I am discovering a lot of those qualities myself. And um, although it's a different type of practice in my classroom, I often have a hard time when I am, basically I'm asking, how do you ground yourself when dealing with students? Or it might be different because it's less, it's during a class, you're not uh, interacting as much as say I would be, but I have trouble when there's an energy that I have a lot of trouble with. Um, I feel a little crazy sometimes <laughs> because um, it's like no one's acknowledging that that's the energy that's in the room, but it can be sort of toxic sometimes. And I, I feel like I need to try to find ways to ground myself, both with my students and the parents that I deal with. I love that question because it, it, it's been very, very uh, true for myself as well that as an empath, sometimes it's not even, you don't even really have to have much of a conversation with someone to sense their, their energetic nature, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and in dealing like, you know, with the business side as well, you, you have that, that customer aspect as well, which is another dynamic in itself. Um, for me... <laughs> Again, with the recognizing the, the people pleasing aspect, because empaths sometimes can be a bit of a people pleaser as well. Um, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so recognizing, you know, when you're saying yes to say yes and when you're saying yes to just um, please somebody else. So why do you mm-hmm. value else's comfort more than your own? Um, and for me, recognizing almost a way to protect yourself from other people's energy. So when somebody, you know, enters, I think they say within six feet, I think our electromagnetic field is like six feet. So somebody comes in and they're in a really bad mood, that's going to affect, you know, your mood, unless you're pretty good at putting a boundary up and not absorbing the other person's energy. So Mm -hmm. for me, it's been a lot of practice of recognizing, okay, that's not mine. And that's not mine to take. It's not mine to to feel. Um, and you can even do visualizations where you, you know, actually envision that there is a sort of a shield around you or a white light around you and that nothing's going to come in or out that isn't yours. Um, I've had some success with that, but for me, most of it comes in the after the interaction. So mm-hmm. when 
you know, we've parted ways in recognizing, okay, that wasn't mine. So what do I need to do to get rid of that feeling? So either deep breaths or if, you know, if you like practices like sage or smudging, um, doing that or, or meditation, but a big one is just going for a quick walk or something to, um, release the energy that you picked up on because you know as an empath it can be really exhausting as you go through your day because you know you picked up on this person's energy and then this person's mm-hmm. energy and then the day you're just like frazzled so sometimes i'll do it when we get to class you know we all arrive on our mat and we spend the first couple minutes recognizing all the people that we saw today all the places we were all the energies we interacted with and recognizing that you know those aren't ours so let's try and get back to what our own energy is and release anything else that we just kind of picked up along the way. Um, But again, this seems to be a theme coming up today, but boundaries. So setting up those boundaries for yourself as a form of self-protection so that you can do what you want to do long-term without burning out, right? And then naturally with boundaries, you'll start to recognize those people-pleasing tendencies that we have too. Amazing. Amanda, I just want to thank you so much. This has been such an incredible interview and we had great questions from our audience. And so I just really appreciate your presence and I'm so grateful for our friendship. So thank you so much. Thank you so much, Alex. It was so great. Thank you for having me. Thanks for coming and thanks for everyone who joined in. It was wonderful to see you all this morning. Hi friend, thank you so much for listening to this episode of Sober Yoga Girl Podcast. This community wouldn't exist without you here, so thank you. It would be massively helpful if you could subscribe, leave a review, and share this podcast so it can reach more people. If we haven't met yet in real life, please come get your one-week free trial of the Sober Girls Yoga membership and see what we're all about. Sending you love and light wherever you are in the world.